Last week, we began a four-week study in the first three chapters of Acts. And we looked at chapter 1, verses 1 to 8, and our study was titled, First Century Truths for 21st Century Trials. Why is the book of Acts so relevant to our health crisis today? It's because it was written at a time when the early church was in the middle of what? An extremely troubling circumstance. That was the setting for this book. And these relatively new believers feared for their lives. We know that many of them were driven from their homes, as James said, says to the believers who were scattered abroad. The horrific torture by Nero of Rome was going to hit just maybe two or three years after this letter was penned. And we know that 11 of the 12 apostles would soon be martyred. The book of Acts was a much-needed source of truth and hope and guidance for these believers in their time of trial. And our situation today is not nearly as severe, but the truths are just as relevant. The introduction of Acts contains, as we saw last week, no less than eight tremendous truths for today. And we looked at these last week. And this, by the way, is your only bullet list today, so soak it in. Eight truths. Number one, Jesus is alive. Another, we can bank on God's promises. God is with us. We must choose our questions carefully. God does not want us to know the exact timing of all future events, but we know that God is in complete control of the future. God's presence and His grace are guaranteed and finally, number eight, we have a mission. We saw all of these truths in those first eight verses. Truths like those help us to interpret the daily news, if you know what I mean. Truths like those build up our faith when our faith is being tested. And by the way, if you read ahead to the next few verses in chapter one there, we find a, a bonus truth. There is a grand truth that we can add to the list. We just didn't have time to get there last week. So let me quick, uh, quickly read verses 9 through 11 before we jump ahead to chapter 2. So we know that here in chapter 1, Jesus already come back to life after He died on the cross. He spent 40 days with the disciples and a few hundred other people. And He had just reiterated to them that the, the, the Holy Spirit would come just as God promised and that they would be put on a mission to tell the world about Jesus Christ. So here's what happened as soon as he finished those words. Verse 9 says, And after Jesus had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on. This is the ascension. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. These are angels. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you watched him go into heaven. Truth number nine, Jesus is coming back. This life, this world, history's story is not going to ramble on into oblivion. There is an end. There is a climax. There is a final chapter. And part of that glorious last chapter is that Jesus is coming back. He is going to rescue us 
from the impending judgment of the world of Satan and all those who hate God. This is what we find in the Bible. Jesus is coming back as conqueror and king. Let that truth help give confidence and perspective to the crisis that we are in right now. No matter what happens to our health, whether we live or die, and no matter what happens in the economy and the world at large, Jesus is coming back. Okay, let's open our Bibles to chapter 2 now. Acts chapter 2. This is going to be the focus of our study today. As you can see, I'm not going to preach through every section, every verse in these first few chapters. You can look at the last half of chapter 1 if you'd like, and it talks about the choosing of the 12th disciple. Our focus for these four weeks, these brief four weeks, is on the miraculous launch of the New Testament church, the launch of the new covenant. This event, we know, changed the course of world history. God worked mightily during this time. And we're looking into these chapters to see what truths, what examples, what instructions are given that give us hope and even certainty that God wants to work mightily in our crises as well. That God will come through for us as well. God grew and He blessed the church in a profound way back then. I'd like us to ask the question, why not today? Why not today? We're going to see the Apostle Peter preach a message that rocked the world. Are there any truths in that message for us today? My guess is that you're going to agree with what I'm seeing. There are multiple powerhouses of truth that can and are radically changing our lives. We may not see the Holy Spirit or hear the Holy Spirit come down like a violent rushing wind, which is what we're going to look at today. And we may not see brilliant flames of fire spread out over each other's heads. And we may not add 3,000 new believers to our attendance this afternoon. But God might do something eternal and significant and life-changing in your heart and in mine. He might light a fire, a fresh fire, a greater fire in our spirit to love and serve Him and others with a greater diligence and sacrifice and joy than we've ever had before. He might even save one person today. Any of these things would be incredibly awesome. So let's pray toward that end and then we'll look at chapter 2. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word that is timeless. What was true thousands of years ago is true today. And so we pray, Lord, that You would open our eyes as only You can do to the truths that we need in our time of trouble. Lord, if we are feeling strong and good in the faith, Lord, then give us truths that we can minister to those around us who are fearful, who are looking for answers, who are looking for a ray of hope. Lord, You offer these things in abundance. And it is with great expectation that we look into Your Word 
And we anticipate that You will do a fresh miracle today through the power of Your Word, through the power of Your Spirit in our hearts and even through us. So we trust You now with this time. Be glorified as we look to Your Word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we looked at the setting for the book of Acts. We we, were reminded that context makes all the difference. It gives a depth of meaning to the reader. And so what was the setting for the book of Acts? An extremely troubling circumstance. So, but now let's look at more specifically the setting right here in chapter two. This chapter could be divided into two parts. We have the setting and the sermon. So let's look first at the setting verses one through 13, beginning in verse one. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all gathered together in one place. Very much unlike us today, right? But these disciples, the people that Jesus just spoken to a week and a half prior, perhaps their families, a few others, they were all devoted followers of Christ and they were all together in one place, just like Jesus told them to do before he ascended. He said he commanded them to stay in Jerusalem and wait there for what God had promised, the Holy Spirit. Verse 2, And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Let's stop there for a minute. What just happened? Well, the Holy Spirit arrived. That's what happened, right? And the verse says that it sounded like a violent rushing wind from heaven. My kids and I were trying to, to, to figure out and, 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 and trying to, to um, picture what this must have sounded like. If we were there, what would it have looked like? And the closest thing we could come up to for that sound is that it must have sounded like a tornado. Some of you have probably heard tornadoes. But notice the verse says, it filled the whole house where they were sitting. The sound of that tornado or whatever it was, was in the house. And they weren't in the basement. They were sitting in the house. Now, I've never been close enough to a tornado to hear one. And I've never been in the house when a tornado went over. And I certainly haven't been sitting in the house when the roof came off and the tornado swept through the house. I imagine some of you have some pretty amazing stories you could tell of these kind of circumstances you've been through. Many of us came close to one right here in this area, right? December 18th, 2018. A class EF2 tornado hit Port Orchard. As you know, it damaged some 250 buildings. It even took the roof off of some of them. The bottom line for us today is that the Holy Spirit announced His arrival big time. And furthermore, it says that something like tongues of fire appeared and spread out through the room, spread out through the air, and landed above each person's head. And in that spectacular moment, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. God had just come down to humanity in a very unique way. The temple was no longer needed in the same sense because now every child of God was His temple. 
This is one of the most spectacular spiritual truths. God dwells in you and me, and He dwells in us not only during this lifetime, but for eternity He is with us. God dwells in those who repent of sin and believe on His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins so that I could believe and be forgiven so that God could come and have a loving, personal, eternal relationship with me and with you. Try wrapping your brain around that one. Now, we're not going to do an in-depth study on the Holy Spirit right here because that's not the author's intent. This historical narrative simply points out what just happened. And Luke quickly goes on to say that everyone in the room instantly began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. So again, we're not going to go into a deep study of the spiritual gifts either. Luke doesn't go there, so we're not going to. Or I should say, he only goes there in very little detail. So what is the detail? In this moment, people were able to instantly speak in a foreign language and it was the Holy Spirit that totally enabled it. That's what we learned from this verse. Simple enough. This was a big-time miracle. Look at the response in verse 5. Now, there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. Make no mistake, this sound was so loud, so bombastic and dramatic that a crowd came, in, came running to see what happened. And this wasn't just any crowd. Who does it say they were? They were devout Jews from nations all over the known world. And what were they doing there? They were celebrating Pentecost, the, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Harvest. This was one of three annual festivals where Jews from around the world came to Jerusalem to celebrate and to worship and to give thanks. So when these people all come running to the house, they hear the people in the house speaking in foreign languages. Verse 7, they were amazed and astonished, saying, why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. That's 15 different people groups just mentioned. We hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. Notice Luke gives us just a few more details regarding this miracle of speaking in different languages. Number one, he says, we, we, we learn here that it wasn't unique and unidentifiable verbiage. This was a literal known language or languages being spoken. Secondly, they were clearly understood by the hearer. And three, they weren't speaking of random things. They were testifying specifically of the power of God, the miraculous and amazing deeds of God. This was nothing short of amazing that just happened here. Now, in the next verse, Luke spells out three different responses. 
Now, here's why I want to draw your attention to this. We are going to look at Peter's sermon in the rest of this chapter today. And then after Palm Sunday and Easter, the next two Sundays, we're going to come back to Acts to look at another short sermon that Peter gives in chapter 3, as well as another shocking miracle. And in all of these cases, we're going to very carefully note the different types of responses that people give. It's very eye-opening into the nature of humanity. We see the same responses happening in churches today, happening in the world today. We even see the same responses in the health crisis today. Look at the three types of responses recorded right here in verse 12. It says, And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, They are full of sweet wine. Three responses. Some were amazed. Some were perplexed. Some mocked. And let me add, we're going to see another response later in the chapter. Some believed. Friends, this whole coronavirus situation is not so different. Some people are just blown away at what's going on in the rapid pace that things are happening. Others are bewildered. They're full of questions and perhaps anxiety and fear. They are, as it says, greatly perplexed. And third, some mock. I'm sure some of you saw us in the news. Just this past week in Pennsylvania, some $35,000 plus of fresh produce and merchandise had to be thrown away at a grocery store because someone thought it would be a funny joke to go through the store intentionally coughing on all the produce and on the meat department and in the bakery and in other merchandise. Some will mock. Don't be surprised. What was the mockery here in chapter 2? They are full of sweet wine. You, you can just hear it. Nothing special going on here, folks. They're just a little tipsy. They're intoxicated. They are drunk. That is the setting for the sermon that Peter is about to give. The first sermon recorded in the history of the New Testament church. Do you think that the words that Peter is about to give are important to these believers who are fearing for their lives because of very real persecution? We know that they were desperate for what Peter was about to say. And the author, Luke, knew it. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he penned these words so that the early church could remember them, lean on them, and repeat them to future generations. Verse 14, look at how Peter handled this situation. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all who live here in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. Peter just wrote off the mockers. No one drinks at this time of day. That's ridiculous to think that they were all drunk. Besides, these are devout Jews from Jerusalem and from all the nations under heaven. People of very sincere faith. So in very few words, Peter dismisses the mockery and he now unleashes a tidal wave of truth. Verse 16. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, 
that I will pour forth of my Spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. Pause there for a second. Doesn't that speak volumes about God's love for people from all walks of life? This is a wonderful truth that God is going to give His Spirit to both the rich and the poor, to the noble and the lowly. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of impartial, caring God that I want to follow. Verse 19, And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, a lot of questions could be asked about those verses from the book of Joel. The prophecies the dreams, the wonders in the sky, the, the, the blood, the fire, the smoke, all preluding the great and glorious day of the Lord. Joel is clearly pointing to the end times. That's a massive study in itself, but Peter didn't dive into an exhaustive teaching here on the end times. He just read the verses. And certainly, his focus was intently set on the coming of the Holy Spirit that is happening in these last times. The age of the church and into the end. His focus is also very clearly and intently set on the last verse. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is the good news of the Gospel. That's the message and the miracle that Jesus brought to all mankind when He died for them on the cross to forgive their sins. To give them the hope of eternal life. The gift of eternal life. Paul echoed these truths in Romans chapter 5-8. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In Romans 6-23, for the wages of sin is death. That is the penalty. What is due for sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And even Paul specifically quoted Joel at the end of these verses in Romans 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever believes in Him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. That means it doesn't matter who you are. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on Him. And here Paul also quotes Joel. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Back to Acts chapter 2. Hear the urgency In Peter's voice as he continues, verse 22, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, 
Many of them saw exactly what Peter is talking about here. They witnessed the miracles of Jesus during his three or so years of ministry. We're hearing all about these as Pastor Mark is working through the book of Mark. Many signs and wonders performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. We have to pause there for a second before we finish the sentence. Those are stunning words. Delivered over, speaking of the crucifixion, his death, Jesus' death, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. That's one of those, those verses that just slams the brakes on your brain if you're reading with even an ounce of attention. This man, Jesus, delivered over to death by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. That is Peter teaching and reinforcing a Bible-wide truth that God is sovereign. I was blessed to hear Pastor Mark's opening comments as he drew our attention to the sovereignty of God. Oh, that's God sovereignly helping link the elements of our service together. This is Peter reinforcing these truths. Nothing stops God's will from being done. In reference to Jesus' death on the cross and His resurrection the third day, we see that God not only knew it would happen, He planned it to happen. And He not only planned it, He determined it to be so. These are amazing truths. On the other hand, you have people like me. I make a lot of plans, but only some of them happen. No matter how hard I try to make them happen, many fail. You should have seen my last week. This passage is dripping with insights into the person and the behavior of God. Now I want to stop for just a quick minute here and jump onto a rabbit trail for a second. It is important to recognize that when we study the Bible, so we're talking about our Bible studies, our personal reading of our devotions, it's important to recognize that when we study, we should be looking for four things. You could put them in a quadrant. We are looking for God's nature and God's behavior, who He is and what He does. With that in mind, we realize that the Old Testament is a breathtaking portrait of God revealing His nature, His character, and His behavior, His actions. Now likewise, we're also looking for man's nature and man's behavior. Who is man? What is his character, his attitude, his inclination, his moral, spiritual composition? And how does he behave? There's the quadrant. And as we study through the pages of Scripture, we begin to realize that the nature of God dictates His behavior. And we then see that the behavior of God reveals His nature. Likewise, the nature of man dictates His behavior. And His behavior reveals His nature. When these four parts of the quadrant become clear and we begin to connect the dots and read Scripture, we begin to learn great spiritual truths. Truths like God is holy and we are sinners. 
God deserves worship and we deserve judgment for our sins. God is just. He cannot let sin go unforgiven, undealt with. We see that God is the Savior and we are the ones in need of rescue. This is the ultimate spiritual eternal dilemma. But then God stepped in. Let's look at more of this. Back to our verse where we see some magnificent truths regarding the nature and the behavior of God. We're going to see His sovereignty in action. Verse 23, This man Jesus, delivered over by the predetermined plan and the foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put Him to death. Guilty as charged. Remember, it was the Jews who called and demanded called for and demanded Jesus' crucifixion. Verse 24, But God raised Him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for Him to be held in its power. We just read two of the most powerful words to ever be combined in one sentence. But God. You nailed Him to a cross and put Him to death, but God. The predetermined will and plan of God was about to happen. And what did God do? He raised Jesus back up to life and put an end to the agony of death because it was impossible for Jesus to be held in death's grip, death's power. That's how determined the will of God was. Impossible to stop it. I mean, we just have to stand amazed at the God of heaven and the way He works. If you're watching online and are relatively new to church or what the Bible talks about, you just stepped right into the middle of the movie, the climax, where God intervenes and He begins to win the day of world history. Jesus died on the cross, but God raised him back to life. And what was the result? God put an end to the agony of death. Hear me on this. That is the grand hope for all Christians. That is the grand hope for all who believe in Jesus Christ. The curse of death has been broken. Bring this text to the 21st century. One very real, very timely application is in this virus crisis. I have heard so many believers say, if it's my time, I don't have to be afraid. It takes power to even utter those words and to utter them with conviction. That is not just wishful thinking. That is fearlessness that is based on the predetermined rescuing power of God. That is a fearlessness that knows that the agony of death, the sting of death, has been removed. We have the sure hope of eternal life based on the promises of God. Yes, death hurts. Yes, death carries tremendous sorrow. But something happens for the believer. 
1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 to 57. These, were, these words were given to the early church from the Apostle Paul. He said, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, referring to death, particularly eternal death, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. What was truth number nine that we mentioned earlier? Jesus is coming back. The text continues, for this perishable must put on the imperishable. This mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and when this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, you see, when Jesus forgives sin, when He forgives us of our sin, He breaks the eternal curse of death. The victory and the sting of death lose all their power. And the victory actually changes hands. I love the wording in the text here. The victory changes hands and it becomes ours through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is why I am a Christian. It's why I put all of my faith in the Scriptures. I find no other truth that parallels with the Scriptures. No other truth so convincing, so real, so life-changing right now. These are amazing words. These words are true. Not only for the, the recipients of the letter of Acts, they're true for me and they are true for you. That's why Peter and Paul are repeating them. It's why they are documenting them. It's why they were to be spread through all the churches. These truths are for all generations. Back to our text today, verse 25. Peter continues, For David says of him, speaking of Jesus, and I will stop there before we go on. My church family, I want to point out one of the incredible lessons hiding right beneath the surface of those five words. Remember the setting. Jesus just died and came back to life less than two months prior. He had just returned to heaven a week and a half prior before their very eyes. And the Holy Spirit just landed in Jerusalem Ten minutes prior with incredible fanfare and a crowd is now standing there in front of Peter trying to make sense of what in the world just happened. Notice Peter's response. He was ready with the Scriptures. Let that sink in. He grabbed the Word of God if he didn't have it memorized already and he basically said, friends, look at what the Bible says. God talks about this. God has the answers right here. Christian friend, when your neighbors and my neighbors and our co-workers and our family and friends are terrified over the coronavirus, when they're panicking for their jobs and their retirements, and understandably so, and when some are even fearing for their lives and the lives of loved ones, especially the elderly and those with pre-existing medical conditions, 
Are you and I ready to run into the scene and say, God has the answers? Look at what the Bible says. There is hope. My heart is so challenged by what we are reading in these first two chapters of Acts. And the challenge is about to skyrocket in the verses ahead. But for today, do we know the Word of God well enough to be ready to speak it into the lives of those around us when they need it most? We have no reason to believe that Peter had prepared this sermon a week prior. For heaven's sake, the Holy Spirit just arrived. The crowd just ran up. And Peter was ready with the Word. See, now we put two and two together. Go to Peter's epistle. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Boy, if you're going to testify for Christ, don't forget step number one. Sanctify Him. Set Him apart. Make Him holy as the Lord in your own heart. It is absolutely essential that I do that regularly, consistently, especially before I come and minister the Word of God, study it together with you. But Peter says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. If those verses don't describe you and me, it's time to put on that description. We must be students of the Word of God, not just for the sake of head knowledge, but for life application and for life witness. Others need to know what God says about this present day trial. Verse 25, for David says of Jesus, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for He is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exulted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, that is hell, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence." Those are the words of King David. Now look at verse 29 and how P Peter takes that Old Testament Scripture and explains it off the cuff to this crowd. Peter knows the Word. Verse 29. He says, Brethren, I may confidently say to you... Boy, that, that, that gives insights right there. Are we confident when we share the Word of God? Are we assured of its truth and its potential to give hope and change? Peter goes on to say, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ. That he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. Speaking of the resurrection, this Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, 
He has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Dale Carnegie wrote a book titled How to Win Friends and Influence People. Peter didn't bother to read that book. (laughs) This Jesus whom you crucified, he knew that if people were to receive the gift of forgiveness, they had to admit guilt first. We are all sinners. We all need God's mercy and His forgiveness. So much of modern Christianity misses the bullseye that Peter hit right here with great force. Until we humble ourselves and acknowledge our great sin, we can't realize the greatness of God's love. Speaking of that quadrant, it's when we see His holiness, His goodness, His perfection, when we see His power in creating the universe, when we see His power in the person of Jesus Christ, God the Son, both in the miracles and in the resurrection, when we see the awesomeness of God, if we truly see it, it will humble us. I don't doubt that every one of us thinks we're a pretty good person. Until we look at the holiness and perfection of God, then we agree with Scripture that says, there is no one good, not even one. Peter spoke the whole truth, even when it hurt, even when he knew he risked persecution for speaking it. He spoke because he cared. He even referenced the gentleness and the reverence with which we should speak to others. The Bible is not a hammer to be used on people's heads. It is a life-giving truth that is to be shared with both conviction and compassion. As we wrap up, let's look at the result of Peter's sermon and how he handled the response. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Now, speaking of responses, that's the right one. That's the humble one. The cry for help. Some mock. Some don't, quote-unquote, need God. Some think they're good enough, contrary to the fact that the Bible says the opposite. Look Look at how Peter answers the call for help. Verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent. That's a word we need to hear more of. Repent, that means acknowledge your sin and turn your life in the other direction. Turn your mind in the other direction. It's a total change in life direction. Repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. 
much more common back in that time, but baptism is the public acknowledgement that Christ is now your Lord and Savior. Peter invited them. He, he commanded them. Here's the answer. Here's the help you need. Identify with Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That's faith in action through baptism. And what's the result? You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine how those words must have landed on the ears of those just, who just ran up to see what tornado just hit? What in the world is going on with these people? They're, they're miraculously speaking in languages. And Peter says, it's the Holy Spirit. And you can have Him too. You see the hope that Peter gives. You, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's not something we buy. It's not something we earn with our good works. The gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 39, For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to Himself. And with many other words, Peter solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received His Word were baptized. And that day, there were added about 3,000 souls to the church. When we come back to this text in three weeks, we're going to look at the rest of the chapter. Brace yourself for the awesomeness of God's Word. Let's read those verses to whet our appetites. 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Again, note, this is one of the responses. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Don't you want that in your family? Don't you want that in your church? Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to sell your property and give the proceeds to the church. I'm not planning on doing that either. But we are going to take a deep look at the heart of those several verses. And we are going to ask, God, would you bless us in a bigger way? And bless your church for your glory? And bless the mission you've given us more and more as we align our hearts and our attitudes and our behaviors and our faith with what is so clearly Your will laid out in these six verses. Then let us expect God to do great things. Even in the 21st century. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we stand in awe of You.
we are so humbled by the greatness of God. Not just by His, at His power, but at the greatness of His love. The greatness of His justice. You will do what is right. But we also stand in awe at the greatness of Your mercy. The thought that Jesus Christ stepped into the courtroom. And he said, I will take their place. Thank you, Lord. I pray that if there is one listening to this message today who has not experienced the miracle of the Holy Spirit, the miracle of forgiveness and guilt removed. The miracle and the wonder of being washed clean in the heart. The miracle of being assured of the free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I pray, Lord, if someone has not experienced that, does not understand that, I pray that they will open the Word of God, read it for themselves, and see the truth. But Lord, may they not only see and understand truth, grant them the grace to believe. Call them into the family of God and do the miracle that You have done in my heart and so many I know. Lord, for those of us who with great assurance and confidence call ourselves children of God, part of the family of Jesus Christ, those who are saved, those who are truly Christians. Lord, light a fresh fire in our hearts. Give us this continual sense of awe at who You are and what You are doing. Lord, let it begin in my heart. Let it begin in each one in this church family so that when we meet back together, there will be a gladness and a sincerity that could only come because You have done what only God can do. You give hope. You give truth. You give courage. You give love. You give peace. I pray all these things on my church family and those beyond. May we experience God today. We love You, Lord, because You first loved us. In Jesus' name, Amen.